Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first edition of the Saturday Edge College Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Smith, and I'm a contributor in the college basketball and college uh, football forums on Saturday Edge. So we are getting this started here this year for the first time. Uh, Each week, I'm going to try and get some collaborators to join me in the future, but um, it's just going to be me flying solo tonight. But we are going to be trying to get a podcast out on Tuesdays or Wednesdays, as time permits. Um, and now, if you have any constructive criticism or feedback, um, please reach out to me on Twitter at Smithers513 or on the site uh, with some stuff you like, stuff you didn't like. You know, definitely want to make this tailored to the listener. So if there's anything we can do to improve it, be all ears. We'd love to hear it. Um, and I will preface by saying that since I will be putting the podcast out on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and lines for the weekend typically don't become available until about Friday, afternoon at the earliest. I'm going to use Ken Palm projections that should get us in the ballpark of where a line should be. And uh, I'll try and give out a target projection of what I'd play it at. And, you know, we'll kind of go from there. Um, so, like I said, any questions, feel free to reach out or any concerns or you know, anything that you think would help out. We definitely would appreciate it. As far as uh, format for tonight, uh, I thought I'd discuss a few futures, given that the season is getting ready to start. Uh, and then we'll get into some specific games, um, the format, you know, I'll run through the games, and I'll try and finish with some of the bigger ones that finish up next Tuesday, uh, the Kansas and Michigan State game, the Kentucky-Duke one. So I don't think we'll have time to record a new one before those games come out, so I'll finish up with those thoughts. Uh, but without further ado, I'll go ahead and get started on some futures that I like. And, you know, these are always price-dependent. And, you know, I have a different philosophy with futures than some people may have. I'm not necessarily looking for a winner, but I'm looking for a team that I think is going to be a top seed. Uh, you know, that means, you know, the one, two, three, four, five range that I think will present some value to either hedge against or make a run. Uh, one that I really liked here that hopped out right off the bat was Vanderbilt at 100 to 1. Uh, this team returns four starters, and they made a deep run in the NIT last year. And I think that really bodes well for success this year. I like the momentum of the tournament atmosphere, tournament run, especially with that amount of starters coming back. Uh, their big man, Damian Jones, um, you should learn the name. The guy is a stud. He is going to be one of the best bigs in the country. I think you combine that with the fact that Mandy is a very good shooting team. This is a team that's going to be dangerous. I expect them to compete for the SEC title with LSU and Kentucky, and I think they're going to be right in the hunt. Uh, probably, you know, I'm hoping for you know a three or four seed. I think their ceiling is that high. You know, it always all remains to be seen. But you know, another thing I like with them is they're playing in Maui to start the year, and a lot of times playing in those early postseason tournaments, especially ones as competitive as Maui. That really sets teams up to peak at the end at the right time, and I think that Vandy at 100 to one is a very good flyer. Another team that much shorter price, but I think is arguably one of the more talented teams in the country is UConn at 28 to one. 
you know, you get Kevin Ollie, who has been there, done that, um, and you get a t- roster as talented as UConn is going to be this year. Um, you know, you know that UConn's going to bring it defensively. So at the very worst, they're going to be in games in the tournament. And I think their guard play is going to be great. Um, their inside out is going to be good. And, you know, you give me um, that team, especially I think a very underrated piece is the Sterling Gibbs transfer. You know, good guard play is invaluable in March. And you give me that team with that guard play and that mindset, the coach that's been there and done it, I think that's a great price. Uh, another team that I thought presented a lot of value is Wisconsin at 50-1. to 1. You know, Bo Ryan, I don't think enough can be said about how good of a coach he is. You know, losing Kaminsky and Decker hurts, but this team is still very talented. I don't think they're going to lose a beat. You know, I think Nigel Hayes might emerge as one of the better players in the country this year as he gets a chance to shine. And, you know, like kind of similarly with UConn, a program that's been there and done that at that long of a price I think is, you know, a very good um, shot to look at. Uh, another longer shot that I think is worth a, a definite look is Miami. seen them at 66 to 1. Um, you know, definitely shop around with futures, obviously, because especially with these longer teams, the odds can, can vary uh, greatly by book to book. But this team returns four starters, and their ceiling, I think, is very high. You saw that last year when they beat Duke by 16 in Cameron. You know, they should definitely be battle-tested from playing in the ACC. You get nine contributors back to this team and a great coach in Jim Laranega. You know, I definitely think you have a team that's got a very high ceiling at a long price, and that's kind of what I'm looking for. As far as the Blue Bloods go, um, Kentucky, I think, is going to be very good this year. You know, full disclosure, I am a Kentucky alum, but, uh, you know, at 8-1, that's just not a big enough price for me to really consider it. Uh, But of the Blue Bloods, I really think Kansas at 9-1 is probably the best play if you're looking for one of the favorites. This roster is stacked. Um, I think it's one of the best teams Kansas will feel from a talent perspective that we've seen probably the last four or five years. Um, I think you also really got to like that when they went out to South Korea and played in the World University games, the experience they gained, that was even playing without Chuck Diallo and Devontae Graham, and they still won that. If Wayne Seldon can be the player that he's shown he can be uh, from a, a talent perspective, I think the sky's the limit with Kansas, and I really think that's the blue blood program to be. Uh, but getting into some of the specific games this week, um, I'm going to start off with Belmont and Marquette. I think that's a really interesting game. Um, you've seen Belmont, if you've watched college basketball, they're notorious for being you know, the mid-major upset team, and part of the reason is how they play. You know, they love to stretch it to the three-point line, drive and kick and hit threes. You know, they understand that they're not going to have size and athleticism to compete with a lot of the big boys down low. So they don't, they don't, you know, they they know where to fight the battles. And I think this is a pretty good matchup for them playing a Marquette team that only returns two starters. Um, now they brought in a top 25 class. Um, I think that they're going to have a pretty talented front court, especially with the new big man Henry Ellison. Um, I don't think Belmont's going to have an answer for that, but at the same time, I'm not sure that Marquette's going to be able to establish him down low enough that it really becomes a factor. Um, now, Marquette will play an aggressive defense. Um, they, Wojciechowski definitely got that team to play hard defensively and buy in last year. That hit a lot of the flaws that they had. Um, they forced 13 and a half turnovers uh, per game last year, which is obviously very good, but they have to rebound a lot better uh, to compete. But 
the projection I'm seeing on this one from Ken Palm is Marquette favored by eight. Um, I think you might see it a little bit lower than that, but at seven or eight points, I definitely think Belmont is the side points in your pocket, especially a game being played on a neutral site. All right. And uh, moving along here, another game that I think is pretty interesting is Eastern Washington. Uh, the projection here is plus 10 at Mississippi State. Uh, Eastern Washington is a team that a lot of people fell in love with last year in the two cause with uh, Harvey, the leading scorer in the country. Um, he put on a show last year. Um, he was excellent to watch, but Eastern Washington is only bringing back one starter. Uh, only 26% of their offensive output is going to be back. Um, now, when you compare that to the big sky, I still think this team will be able to compete there. Obviously going to be one of the top teams to beat in that league. But they have a very small backcourt, 5'9", uh, 6'3". Their depth's going to be a question mark. Um, they should get better and better as the year progresses, but I think they might be running into a buzzsaw here on Mississippi State, which is uh, brought in Ben Howland, who I think is one of the more underrated X's and O's coaches in the country. You know, you look back at what he did at UCLA, and you know the UCLA faithful, that wasn't enough for him, but I think, you know, he could turn back the clock, and I think he'd be pretty happy with those results, obviously. But, um, you know, you have a Mississippi State team that has four returning starters, plus they added Malik Newman in another good recruiting class, uh, and they have four seniors. I think this is a really talented roster, uh, and I think this projection at 10, I think this is short. I think Mississippi State has a chance to put a beating down on Eastern Washington. I think they might be able to just overwhelm them with size and athleticism. And uh, I also read that Mississippi State handled UAB in a scrimmage. And UAB, I think, is going to be a very good team. It's all kind of allude to uh, Conference USA. But I think that's really impressive that they handled UAB in a scrimmage because that's kind of one of the questions I had with Mississippi State is where they were going to be this early. And I think that clearly shows that this team might be a little bit ahead of schedule. And at 10 points, I think that's just a little too short. And uh, speaking of UAB, uh, I have UAB projected at plus one at Auburn. And, again, these are Ken Palm projections. But um, if you followed me on Twitter last year at all or read any of my writing uh, on the Saturday Edge site, UAB was a team that I was all over uh, towards the end of the year. Um, they were peaking at just the right time. Um, they bring back all five returning starters from a team that beat Iowa State tournament last year. Um, they have a very good front court. Um, they also added in a really good recruit for UAB standards and William Lee. He's a top 150 frosh. Uh, I think that they are running into a great situation playing an Auburn team that's not very healthy. Um, Auburn, uh, if you were following the uh, Twitter sphere, so to speak, a couple of days ago, uh, they went into overtime uh, against a D2 school. I can't recall, but their depth is really thin right now. They're banged up. Um, they, now, they did get Kareem Canty the Marshall transfer, who's very, very good, very good guard for them. Um, so I think he's going to be able to pick up some of the slack. But I think UAB is just honestly the better team here. Um, I don't know what this line will open at. I can't imagine that UAB is going to be favored, but I think they should be. Um, so if we can be catching points with UAB, I think that's a, a very attractive side to look at. Another game I thought was pretty interesting here, um, you know, a little off the radar, uh, which most of these games are going to be early until we get into you know, some of the Blue Bloods playing each other in some top 25 games, but uh, is Cal Poly at UNLV. 
Uh, Cal Poly, you may have uh, recognized if you're a casual fan. Uh, they appeared in the tournament. They were uh, in the tournament as a team with a losing record a couple of years ago. Uh, but they have a very talented roster. Uh, I was reading up on them. Their coach said that this is no doubt it's the most team, excuse me, most talented roster Cal Poly has ever had. You know, anytime a coach comes out and says that at a mid-major or not even a mid-major, in this case, a small school, um, that's always a sign. I love to read coaches' quotes, get a feel for how they feel about their team. And they play a very methodical style. You know, kind of think of Wisconsin White. Um, they had the second fewest turnovers in the country uh, to Wisconsin last year, actually. They bring back three starters from that team. Uh, now, one of the big challenges for them, I think, is going to be getting acclimated to the new 30-second shot clock. Um, they had been working on that all off season and during the summer uh, from what I've read. But they have very good size and athleticism for a program that you wouldn't think has that. Uh, and then they're going to face a UNLV team that only returns two starters. Um, now we'll preface by saying that UNLV returns a top five recruiting class um, that's now sophomores. And they added some good players like Steven Zimmerman, uh, who was a target for UK and Duke. So this is going to be a really athletic team and talented. Um, but, you know, with UNLV, you always wonder how they put it together. Um, you know, their coach, when I was reading up on them numerous times, Coach Rice uh, said that they have high-character guys. He made a point of saying high-character multiple times. So, you know, you got to wonder how much in control um, that program really is uh, with their guys. But um, the projection on this is UNLV minus three. I'm not sure where that opens up, but – if it opens up higher, if UNLV is favored by five or six, I think Cal Poly definitely becomes an interesting play. And uh, moving on here, I think this might be uh, this, one of the sneaky best games of the weekend is Boise State at Montana. Uh, projections on Ken Palm have Montana at plus two. I think this is going to be an awesome game. And uh, for all of our followers that live out in the uh, Mountain West region, I'm sure they're well aware of this, but um, you know, Boise returns three starters. Um, they get Anthony Dermick back. I believe his first name's Anthony, but uh, he missed most of last year, and he was a big piece for them. So coming back is it's a big boost. Um, now they did lose their leading scorer, Derek Marks, who was the point guard last year, um, and they like to play with the four guard lineup. So I'd be I'm gonna be interested to see on how they adapt early on if they're gonna do much the same. Um, now I think that their size may be an issue for them. I think bigger teams especially once you get in the Mountain West player, you might be able to exploit that. Uh, and they're going to be facing a Montana team that has four returning starters, uh, especially Martin Brunig, who is the player of the year front runner, in my opinion, in the conference. Um, you know, they'll play two guards at times. So, and I really like their coach Dequire's philosophy of noting that guards win games. Um, and that's one of my biggest pet peeves with coaches is not recognizing that. Um, you know, when the game is on the line, guards make the plays that determine the outcome. And I think Montana has a really high ceiling for any big sky team. And at plus two, I think that's going to be a raucous atmosphere for them. I would definitely side with Montana getting a couple of points here at home if that's indeed where the line opens up at. Uh, a game I got a question on on Twitter, which um, I'm glad somebody brought this up because I think it's a very interesting game. It's North Florida at Illinois. Um, if you saw the tournament last year, North Florida uh, was kind of one of the darlings. Uh, they bring back four returning starters uh, from an NCAA tournament last year. I think they're clearly the team to beat 
from the Atlantic Sun. And this is going to be a great experience for them. Um, they had a Bahamas trip this summer, and I think that's a great indicator for where teams are going to go. Uh, you kind of saw it with Kentucky last year um, when they got to play in the Bahamas. It lets teams get a head start on gelling together. Um, and with four returning starters, it was a good opportunity for them to blend in the newcomers. Um, I think that this team is going to be a offensive juggernaut. I don't know if that's going to expose itself here early, but they led the ace on in scoring last year. Uh, they were 10th in the NCAA in three-point made, um, 20th in, in three-point percentage. So, you know, with a lot of the mid-majors, um, North Florida included, and, you know, they love to shoot the three because they recognize that, you know, that's one of their better chances to um, you know, make games competitive against these bigger schools. And Illinois is a team that's pretty interesting. Uh, they've been decimated by a lot of summer injuries and mishaps. Um, and one of the things that I think is interesting in this game is their head coach, Grossi, was very worried about their defense, uh, some of the new faces that are having to step up. And going against a North Florida team that's going to be very potent offensively, and I think another thing that I definitely remember with Illinois is they're playing a series of their home games early on. I'm not sure exactly on the number, but in Springfield, Illinois, due to some renovations to their home arena. So this isn't going to be a normal on-campus environment that may be walking into. Uh, the projection Ken Palm has right now is Illinois at minus seven. Like I said, I don't know where this is going to open up at, but if this is around double digits, I think North Florida becomes enticing. I think they can take this down, this game down to the wire, and uh, it might be one of the better games to watch this weekend. Uh, moving on here, uh, I think that the Wofford-Missouri game is not going to be a good game to watch, but I think that there's going to be some line value on Wofford just because I don't think that Missouri is really uh, – people really understand how bad this team is going to be. Uh, they return four starters, but that really doesn't mean a whole lot when none of them are any good. Uh, their leading scorer, uh, rebounder, and shot blocker last year transferred. I know you kind of saw the writing on the wall. Um, you know, their coach, Kim Anderson, wrote an open letter to the fan base, you know, basically begging for um, some patience and, uh, you know, painting a brighter picture of the future. But um, they don't have any post presence. Um, they have a small lineup. They're going to be young. I think they're going to struggle to score. And they're going against a Wofford team that's known for its stingy defense. Uh, they're an experienced team. Lots of guys who played important minutes are back for them. Um, they have three returning starters, but they did lose two big pieces in uh, Cochran and Skinner. But this is a team that won 28 games last year. Uh, I'm showing a projection here for uh, Missouri favored by three. Uh, I honestly feel like Wofford, this game should be closer to a pick em. Uh If we're getting three or more points with Wofford, I think that's the side there. And another sneaky game uh, that I think uh, will be interesting to watch, mainly because of the style of play, is going to be Chattanooga at Georgia. Um, Chattanooga was a team that in Ohio Valley, uh, or Southern Conference, excuse me, uh, was very fun to watch last year. Uh, they had uh, Wade, who, Coach Wade, who just left for BCU, who was a Shaka Smart Disciple was their coach last year, and they were a VCU light in that they loved to run, they loved to shoot threes, played an exciting brand of basketball. Uh, now Wade is left for you, VCU, obviously, but they bring in McCall from Billy Donovan's staff uh, at Florida, who is 
going to be taking over a loaded roster. Uh, I think this team is the preseason favorite to win the Southern Conference. And I think that this is a pretty seamless transition for what he's going to try and do. Uh, Florida's old style of pressing, running, and threes blends perfectly with what they have going on now as far as their talent assimilation. And the projection here on this is nine, Georgia being favored by nine. And Georgia brings back a very talented backcourt with games and uh, man. But they lost Thornton and Jurisic, their bigs, and I don't think that their value can go unnoticed to that team. Um, yeah, obviously their guards are talented and they bring a lot back, but Jurisic and Thornton were counted on for rebounding interior defense and, and making key buckets when needed to. So I have a big question mark as to whether those big men will step up. And I think time will only tell. I think that you know, as the season progresses, Georgia's going to be pretty solid, but you know, if you watched Georgia last year, that was a team that was notorious for playing to the level of their competition. I think there was a stretch in the middle of the year where the underdog covered like 10 out of 11 times in a row in a Georgia game. Um, so Georgia doesn't really play a style that I think is conducive for blowing teams out, even teams that they should be beating comfortably. And with what Chattanooga has, I think that this game could end up being a last possession type of game. And, Nine points, I think it might open up a little bit higher, but at that price, I think that Chattanooga becomes a pretty interesting play in one of the games I think is might be leader in the clubhouse for one of the sneakier, fun games of the weekend. And I'll move on here to some of the bigger games of the weekend. Uh, one game that I'm really excited for is Gonzaga in Pittsburgh. This game is being played in Japan on one of the U.S. Air Forces, uh, Air Force vehicles or what have you. Um, but this game is really interesting to me. Uh, Gonzaga, they bring back Karnuski, um, Sabonis, and Wilcher, so their front court's going to be very good. But they also lost Tangos and Bell, and I think that cannot be understated how important those guys were. Um, yeah, the front court is obviously very good, but I think Tangos is what made that team go last year. And if you watch a lot of Gonzaga basketball, it's pretty easy to see. Um, so I, I kind of wonder where they're going to be here early on. Um, it looks like they have some talented guys stepping in. But, you know, at the same time, I think this is a perfect storm for Pittsburgh, um, catching them early in the year in the style of play that Pittsburgh likes to play. Pitt uh, brings back four starters. Um, their top two scorers, the best rebounder and assist leader, are all coming back. They also have a huge front court which I think is very, very important in this game, obviously, because you need to combat what Gonzaga is going to bring. And they have a monster front court. Um, they also have, I think this is going to be an interesting matchup is if you're looking for big fat guys in college hoops. But uh, they got a 6'11", Roselle Nix, who weighs 300 pounds. Um, so that's going to be an interesting matchup. But um, I think the key to this game is going to be Wilcher, Kyle Wilcher, the former Kentucky transfer who is a uh, preseason first-team All-American, and his offensive game is obviously very, very solid, but one of his big issues when he was at Kentucky that I think has been hidden um, playing out in the West Coast against some, some of the more non-athletic teams, so to say, is that the guy has a very hard time guarding people off the bounce. Um, he's extremely slow-footed, uh, and then they've talked a lot, and I've read a lot about how they might be playing him a lot at three so they can get Sabonis and Karnowski in the game at the same time. And if they do that, it's against Pittsburgh. I think Pittsburgh's going to be able to exploit him a lot, um, especially with Jamel Artis, uh, who came on very strong for Pittsburgh last year. 
Um, I think this is a game Pittsburgh has a very, very good chance to win straight up. Uh, Ken Palm actually has this as a three-point game, but I've seen this line at eight and a half at five dimes. Um, so I'm expecting it to open up more in that range than the lower you know, three-point projection. And typically when there's a that big of a mismatch between a Ken Palm projection and a line, it makes me take a second look, obviously. And I think that getting eight and a half points with Pittsburgh, if that's where the line opens up, um, I would play this down to four or five personally. I think this is going to be the game of the weekend, and I think Pittsburgh actually wins this one straight up. I'm very excited to watch that. Um, the other big marquee game on Friday is Temple versus North Carolina. Uh, they're playing as part of the Navy uh, Classic. I can't remember the exact name of the, the little mini tournament they have, but uh, the projection here on this one is Temple plus 11 at North versus North Carolina neutral site. Uh, Temple loses two of its top three scores, uh, but they will start a senior, three juniors, and a sophomore, so still going to be some experience on that team. Uh, but one thing that I'm really concerned about for them here is they were awful offensively last year. Uh, they shot 38% from the floor, and they're going to be facing a North Carolina team that is going to be extremely talented. Um, you know, if you've watched North Carolina, how they love to get up and down. They're usually one of the more proficient offensive teams in the country, and I, I kind of worry about how Temple's going to be able to match baskets in this one. Uh, with UNC, Marcus Page is out for about a month with a wrist injury, so that's obviously a big loss. Um, he was a big part of what made them good last year, and he's been a great player, you know, for my money, one of the three or four best players in the country. But UNC's really deep. Uh, they should keep coming at Temple in waves. Their depth is, is off the charts good. Um, I think that UNC at this, in this game, if they can figure out a way to kind of mask Page's production, uh, which I think they probably should have issue doing against the Temple, Temple team, they're much more talented than uh, this seems like a game that UNC could run away with to me. And uh, moving on, I uh, definitely wanted to touch on a couple of the big games that round up the slate on Tuesday. Uh, next week, uh, that is the Champions Classic, which is becoming one of my favorite events each year, where you have Kansas, Michigan State, Kentucky, and Duke playing each year, and they rotate. Uh, but that's kind of the unofficial start that, hey, basketball's here uh, right in the midst of college football season. But um, the games this year aren't going to disappoint uh, this, uh, as, as in the years past. Uh, early projection here for Kansas versus Michigan State, I've seen this line out on five dimes. Kansas is minus three and a half versus the Spartans. Uh, I, as alluded to with Kansas early on in the podcast with the futures, I think that Kansas is a very, very good team this year. Um, now, whether Bill Self lets them be a good team or not, it remains to be seen. Uh, but I think that they might just have a little too much talent here for Michigan State here early on. Um, as I kind of talked about, when they played in that World University Games in South Korea and won gold without Devontae Graham, Czech Diallo, uh, that showed a lot to me about that team. Um, Wayne Selden played out of his mind over there. Um, you know, you throw in the fact that Perry Ellis and, uh, excuse me, Frank Mason Jr. coming back as well. Uh, this team, you're not going to find a more talented, you know, one through eight, one through nine roster, I think, in the country. Uh, they bring back four starters. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I think is going to be very big for them is having Diallo being able to shore up that interior defense. Uh, Kansas kind of lacked a rim protector uh, since um, the, oh, 
big guy's name. Uh, name's escaping me. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, he's going to be able to shore up that interior defense, which I think is going to be big for them because they have all the athleticism in the world on the wings. So if they can in- shore up that interior defense, I think this guy's limit for that Kansas team. Uh, now, Michigan State, um, they lost um, Travis Trice and uh, Brandon Paulson from last year. Um, big losses, but I still think that Denzel Valentine kind of emerged as their go-to guy as the year progressed. Um, he's a guy whose game has gotten progressively better each year, and I think he's going to be in the conversation. He's one of the best players in the country when it's all said and done. Um, now, they also added Aaron Harris from West Virginia as a transfer um, who's going to give them an instant boost of offense. Um, I think that this Michigan State team, much like a lot of the Michigan State teams under Tom so is going to get better and better and better and then peak at the right time, um, as that is a Spartan trademark. But I think at three and a half, that line might just be a little bit short, especially since Kansas kind of has a leg up in experience here, being that they were able to play the fact of a tournament already this summer without two of their big contributors. Um, I think you saw that kind of similarly with Kentucky last year, being able to play in the Bahamas, they came out and just smoked Kansas that first game, and you could tell that they were just games ahead of the progress that Kansas had had. Um, and I think that this line at three and a half might just be a little too short there uh, for Michigan State to cover. Um, the other key game of the night is Kentucky. Uh, I've seen that at minus two and a half versus Duke. Uh, and this game, I think, is really, really interesting. Uh, Duke obviously only returns a couple of starters. Um, actually, only one starter, but Kentucky, uh, actually, now that I take a look at it, I don't think Kentucky turns any starters. Less Poitras starts. Um, so, you know, with these two teams returning starters, it's a, a moot point given how they recruit and how they funnel guys in. Um, I'm really interested to see what UK does as far as whether they play. Early on, it's been indicated in the starting lineups have had Ulysses. Briscoe and Murray all in the game as the starters, which are, you know, three point guards essentially. Uh, Jamal Murray uh, is very good, um, but I'm interested to see how that matchup happens. If they're going to put him on Brandon Ingram, uh, the talented freshman for Duke, or they're going to offer Poitras, who's still, I think, about 80% coming back from an ACL injury. Uh, Poitras obviously has the size, and I think it's the preferred matchup, but I wonder how much he's going to be able to keep up. Um, you know, I think Duke is going to be very talented, but I'm a little worried about the guard play. I think it's a little bit of a question mark here. Uh, Tyus Jones came on real strong for them last year. Um, he made big plays all year, and I think that kid's moxie uh, was extremely understated. But, um, you know, they have Thornton coming in, the freshman at point guard, and then Grayson Allen, who became, you know, folklore hero <laughs> in the tournament at the end and then, um, you know, in the off season, But, I'm really interested to see if Allen picks up where he left off last year or he kind of goes back to the guy that got lost in the shuffle throughout much of the year. I think Kentucky definitely has the edge in the front court to start here. I think Scala this year is going to be a top one or two pick in this year's draft. He's got a really polished game offensively. Now, my worry with him is he's a little skinny. Um, I think Plumlee might be able to push him off the block a little bit, make him uncomfortable. So it's definitely something to watch for there. Uh, but I think this game ultimately boils down to Tyler Eulis. Um, I think that Cal Perry loves the fact that he's able to hand this team over to Eulis. I think he, once he realized last year that Eulis was the key operator, 
and making that offense go. The UK started to pick up offensively and had more continuity. Uh, and I think that now that it's his team this year, um, he doesn't have to fight for minutes with any of the Harrison twins. I think that that's going to build well for Kentucky. Um, I think this line is spot on. I think this is going to be a last possession game. I'm not really interested in getting involved one way or the other. Um, but I, I think it's clearly going to be the game of the week, uh, weekend slash um, to look at. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, that wraps it up. Thank you for listening. And like I said, please let us know if there's anything you liked, you didn't like, stuff you'd like to see. Um, I will reach out for games um, to be covered on Twitter each week. And uh, again, thanks for listening. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.